Welcome to the Clayton Youth Safety Pod, a podcast series on safety issues in a pandemic world. I'm your host, Hilary Searing, a partner in the Workplace Relations Employment and Safety Team. Good morning. Today we are going to be talking about fatigue. And today I have with me Shay McCartney, who's the head of our national safety practice. Morning, Shay, and thank you for coming in. Hi, Hilary. Thanks for having me. I think fatigue is one of those sort of, um, I'm going to make a very bad pun here, sleeping issues <laughs> um, of the, grateful. I know, <laughs> I did apologise <laughs> in advance, uh, of the pandemic. And I, I wanted to really focus on fatigue because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about what is fatigue and what the real consequences from a health and safety perspective can be and why we think this is such a big issue, you know, during the pandemic. And for me, I guess, working in the law and, you know, helping our clients with some of these things like fatigue management plans, rostering, you know, looking at all of these issues, it sort of was it was a bit of a realization to realize that fatigue is not simply just having a bad not one bad night's sleep or you know not you know having a a bad day. It's really a pervasive issue from a safety perspective. And there's been some studies from Monash University that I think fatigue resulted in about ten thousand serious workplace injuries in Australia. That was a, some studies done in 2017. And so really, it is a it's sort of a pervasive issue, and it. it is a result of when you factors like work-related or non-work-related, but it can occur because of mental or prolonged mental or physical activity, sleep loss, disruption of internal body clocks, and and all of those things I think really feed into a lot of the work that we're doing in Australia in terms of our uh, people who are doing shift work, rostering, FIFO, um, and then of course we have the pandemic. So Shay, I wanted to talk to you about why do we think this is such an issue for the pandemic? Yeah, thanks, Hilary. And look, there's some really obvious examples. And I think people are very clear about, you know, thinking about um, particularly overseas, you know, obviously, we haven't had it as bad here, but our hospital workers and people who are having to respond directly to the pandemic. And we've done a lot of sort of thinking about, well, you know, these people are obviously um, under incredible work pressure. But I think what we're missing, the sleeping issue, as you <laughs> as you terribly put it, put it yes. <laughs> is the fact that we've, and we, we talked about this in previous episodes, but we've jumped to this working from home new sort of norm without perhaps setting up the structures around that. And the other thing that people miss with fatigue is that while all lots of factors increase your fatigue and they talk about repetitive work, high stress, long hours obviously yes there's only one way to stop it and that is to get sleep so when you're fatigued the only way for your body to sort of reset is actually to sleep so not to have time off not to watch tv not to deal with chores and um it's not a break from work it's it's a a sleep correct correct and as we are blurring the lines of, you know, what is work and what is not, and more people are trying to, you know, I know at the moment we're, thankfully in Australia, none of the schools are, are shut down, thankfully for those of us who have children and like to see them go out the door every day. <laughs> go off to school. <laughs> um, you know, when you're trying to juggle those things, there's a lot less control over what is sleep time and are people actually getting the right break so that they are sleeping. And I think that's really led to an increase in difficulty in understanding how is fatigue impacting our workers at the moment. I agree. I think that 
you know, some of the stuff we're seeing in the pandemic really directly can impact on those things, you know, the, that, that blurring of the boundaries, the sort of people fitting in their chores, doing the homeschooling, doing the, you know, the, 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 the washing we talked about the other day, hanging it up while you're on a, a conference call. And, and I think one of the issues for me with fatigue is, is sort of one of the things we, we need to encourage our, our businesses and our organisations is just to recognise the signs of fatigue. And some of those, un, unfortunately, the signs of fatigue are often internal. And so you might not know that someone is sitting there across fr- the table from you feeling fatigued, you know, because some of the symptoms and signs of fatigue are sort of, um, you know, low uh, blurring, you know, blurriness or perhaps headaches or, you know, and feeling tired, of course. But um, part of that, you, people might not recognise those signs and symptoms. And so... I guess I wanted to talk today as well about how do we actually identify fatigue in the workplace and then what are some of the controls that we can put into place as a workplace to maintain our health and safety standards and particularly during the the pandemic. And Hilary, I think, you know, we've spoken a lot about revisiting those controls that are in place, but with fatigue management, it's generally about job design and roster design. Yes. And then after that, it's got to be about educating so usually supervision and then educating people exactly as you say of the of the signs of fatigue and then what to do and then you know particularly empowering people to stop and providing a safe way that they can stop work when they're fatigued I have it. without without being in, getting into trouble and, and feeling free and able to actually stop work and say I'm, I'm I'm actually genuinely fatigued I can't do my job today I remember um, when I was seconded to a mine site and in my early career and just sitting in horror as this project manager told me that he had sacked someone and I was sort of, I was acting HR manager and I said well you know why did you sack them and yeah. He said to me, well, you know, it's a mind site, Shay, and I know how important fatigue issues are. You keep telling us about that. So he had a young baby and he came to work and he told me that he'd been up all night because of the young baby. And so he came to work um, and said he was too tired to work. So he came to work not in a fit state to work, so I fired him. I'm like, okay. Um, it's not quite the, <laughs> what we were looking for, I'm sure. Not not quite what we're looking for. How do I undo that? How do I send the message back to the mind site to say... They can actually tell you that they're too fatigued <laughs> to work without getting fired. And that, you know, having a young baby is also a parental responsibility and, you know, you've now discriminated against him in 50 ways, probably breached every safety law. And <laughs> as a very junior lawyer, I was very distressed as to how to deal with that. Thankfully, it was in boom time, so nothing happened, um, which in <laughs> itself was part of the problem because there was no consequences then sure. from the, for the action. But those messages that you send, you know, we've talked a lot about culture and, you know, we know that safety is really driven by culture first and foremost and the legislation sort of almost is the underpinning, but yes. certainly not the driver. And I think fatigue is, you know, the only way to deal with it is to have a strong culture where people do feel safe to identify when they're, they are fatigued. So those training mechanisms, training our workers to recognise those signs and symptoms in and of themselves, but also training our managers and our supervisors that if people come to them and say, you know, I'm too fatigued to work today, they understand what the consequence of that could be and, and how they can support and assist that person and drive that culture as opposed to terminating someone's employment in this very, <laughs> very extreme case. Very extreme but, case. Yeah. Um, but, but in certainly, I mean, I, to my mind, that would not have driven the culture that you want at that particular mindset in terms of people being feeling right. free to come forward and, and, and recognise their, their symptoms. And, and, and I think that... go back from it. That's the well, thing that I think people don't understand. One of those actions is almost 
like you can then train everyone a hundred times, but you've lost you've lost your trust. You've lost yes. your ability to say, well, we will support you if you identify. You know, self. And I think, given the the nature of fatigue and how some of that is in it's it's as an employer and a, an organisation, you're got, not going to know necessarily that someone might not have had enough rest to be in a fit condition to come to work. And so, being able to, there might be signs and symptoms that you can train your supervisors and your managers to pick up on, and to realise that that person isn't in a in a fit condition to be at work but a lot of it relies on the person as well knowing what the symptoms are and being able to recognize them and being able to I guess know that it's not simply a case of I've had one bad night (laughs) but you know an overarching fatigue such that it actually really from the studies I've seen impairs cognitive function you know it, it can impact on your driving I read a study that said that lack of sleep is almost um equivalent of drunk driving or drink driving I think yeah I think it's 0.08 if you've if you've um you know had I can't remember how many sleepless nights it was that that led you to point our way but um, I think that's exactly right and I think you know we've gotten very good at you know we we did a lot of work you know in in sort of years leading up to this about educating people that they need sleep and that they are responsible for coming to work in a fit fit state to work but I think what we haven't done or what we need to do now is actually to then revisit those education programs and revisit our policies and look at the ways in which perhaps multitasking, Mm. whether it's, you know, teaching children and working or, you know, watching YouTube and and working. (laughs) I'm sure no one does that. But, you um, you know, that bleeding of home life into work so that you're not then... I've had a lot of um, people report that office workers who would normally work an eight-hour day yes. are working 12, 14, 15 hours a day because they're at home. It's easy to just log back on, to get caught up in the emails. You don't have to pack up and take yourself home. So you're getting... When do you stop and where do you you know start work? Yeah, and so educating people that not only is that not okay, it's actually a breach of the work health and safety legislation. And so they themselves are putting... They're breaching the law, they're breaching the policy and they're they're not actually helping anyone. They're they're getting in um, um, harm's way, if you like. I think that's that's really critical. I was trying to think, Shay, about some of the things that organisations can do, particularly if you still have a large cohort of your workers working from home. And I know that we've seen a lot of our clients are now wanting to actually embed some of this working from home and the flexibility around that on a more long-term basis. So when, when the pandemic does finish, and and it will <laughs> one day. Um, and I'm we- not allowed to touch wood because I get in trouble when we make a <laughs> knocking noise, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch some imaginary wood. <laughs> Excellent. But in terms of that, you know, um, the, the increased flexibility and that wanting to have more people working at home on a long-term basis, you know, I was trying to think about some of the ways that employers can actually work and manage some of these things. And I was thinking it's more about training our workers training our supervisors on those signs of fatigue and 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 you know being able to have those systems and processes that, that we can actually check in so there are methods I guess not not to you know remotely surveil our workers but there are methods by which we can have you know some sort of work practices that support flexibility but at the same time assist in reducing this risk of, fat- of fatigue so you know setting some clear boundaries around when the work expectation is no, you know not necessarily mandating you can only work between the hours of eight and five but you know having some boundaries around if people are going to be working outside of that what does that look like and how can we support them to actually have that sufficient time off between you know one day of work and the next or one shift and the next yep. what are your thoughts on oh, that? Jay? I think that's critical and I think that we have to 
it, exactly as you say, you know, there, there is this very difficult challenge around interfering in people's personal lives. But if people want the flexibility to be able to work from home, then unfortunately the organisation still has responsibilities that they have to meet. And part of that is actually understanding the hours that they work because you can't assess the risk unless you yeah. identify it. And so it does actually mean that and you know this is a, a significant issue for employers at the moment with the overtime payments and underpayments and and actually recording of hours but unfortunately i'm i'm not saying we go back to the old bundy clock but yes. an employer does have to understand the hours that people are working because ultimately that's their responsibility they also have to understand that e- even if they haven't got you know, if they're doing other things outside of those hours that impact yes. on sleeping, they've still got to address that. But the first part is actually understanding the hours that are worked. And there's so many ways to do that now. And, you know, in, in some European countries, some of the organisations, because they have very strict laws yes. on hours of work, and I've spoken to some companies that actually have, they, they, they lock the computers down. So they're working from home, but the computer shuts down after so many hours on. Um, Had that happened to us here uh, when, we're, <laughs> when they're doing a system and it's like, no, no, don't lock me out. I'm still trying to finish it. Well, I do it to my kids. I yeah. turn the internet off, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really so the same that, yeah, when you, when you can't concept. trust your children to, yes. to manage their own time. But, you know, that, that I think is critical. And the other piece with it is, that's not to say that you can't work long hours. So, yeah. you know, there are many jobs where employers um, work long long hours and that's part of you're remunerated accordingly and you perhaps safe in doing so. The problem is if you haven't done the risk assessment. And there's a lot of studies to say that even in shift work, even in physical work, you can work long rosters that even might have short periods of time but you have to have the controls in place to do it. So that might be, you might work that long roster for a, for a period of time. Yes. You might have increased supervision. You might have changes in the nature of the work so that, you know, you're not doing that repetitive work. There are lots of controls that you can put in place. But the problem is if you haven't actually done the assessment, then you, have you don't to, know that you need those controls. That's right. And you can't put the controls in place and then you can't comply with your, mm. with your obligations. So that, that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges. Indeed. One of the other areas where I think fatigue is, is an enormous issue, and of course there's, there's an enormous amount of regulation in this space as well, Shay, is, is um, vehicles. Um, and we've had a lot of unfortunate incidents over the years where we've helped clients where there have been incidents in relation to work-related accidents whilst driving. And there's been things where we've had occasion where you know somebody's had a micro-sleep because they've been in an industry where there's been an emergency and they've worked for sort of three days straight because of that particular emergency or so on and, and had a micro-sleep and and gone off the road, fortunately, with, with no fatalities or, con- or serious injuries or consequences. But, of course, the, the potential is, is enormous. And so in terms of that space, Shay, I, obviously there's, we have the National Heavy Vehicle Regulatory Authorities and so on. But what, what are you seeing around that space and fatigue and, and management of that in general? Yeah, so I think um, that in terms of heavy vehicles, there are very strict obligations in relation to fatigue because there have been so many, mm. you know, large truck yep. fatalities and I, I think in the industry is mainly getting used to that but what I think they're struggling with is the chain of responsibility aspects and how do you actually test so it's all very well if you've got you know a direct relationship and you can check the log books etc but the, sure. fur- the further up the chain you get yeah. the the more difficult it is and and setting up you know proper assurance processes so that you are perhaps not receiving information that's not yours to receive, but 
have a way of actually be satisfied that the person is actually discharging their responsibilities to meet your responsibility higher up in the chain exactly and setting that up in the contracts in the first place so that that's sort of where I see that in the heavy vehicle space you know where I still see challenges is is particularly in that chain of responsibility area but that's a topic we can talk about I think we could do a whole podcast on on that particular topic as a whole but maybe we'll come back to that but um, pandemic has impacted on that because what it's meant, particularly where there have been lockdowns, is that there's lots of queuing times. There's, you know, there's differences in schedules that where organisations had actually worked out good schedules are now being, you know, thrown back into. And I think, I mean, the rise in internet shopping, uh, uh, you know, just springs to mind as a as an easy example of, you know, the, the more impost on those sort of supply chain demand, you know, push to get it to the end, you know, user. It's just an easy thing but that I, springs I think to mind. Every organisation where people either have to travel to and from home, have to recognise that less people are catching public transport. That's just a reality. Therefore, I'm stuck for an hour in traffic this morning. <laughs> so yes, that is and exactly traffic right. is heavy. Um, <laughs> and therefore, you know, have to if they are if they have assessed long hours as an issue in their workplace have to then add on to that a thought process about commute time because it, it And I know that's something they've obviously really looked at in the FIFO industry and it's it's a been a huge sleeping issue um that, that obviously is now in quite front of mind but I think that to your point Shay that's something I think businesses really need to be thinking about right now not just if you're in a in a FIFO industry but just in terms of it identifying that travel to and from work as a fatigue you know issue as well all right I'm going to go to Shay's hot tips <laughs> <laughs> so Shay what, what are your hot tips for fatigue and fatigue management so my three my three hot tips are the first one is to Create, if you don't already, a process for recording and assessing working times. And that might be log on, on, log off of the computer if that's the type of work that's being done. But irrespective of whether a person works at home, we have to have clarity around hours. You can have flexibility, but there still has to be clarity. So find a way to record it and assess it and then feed that assessment back into your risk assessments. Yes. The second one is revisit our training and communication. And as we said, that's the training for people to self-identify how the risks of fatigue may have changed and how their new way of working may create additional risks for them. But then also supervisors who may not have the face-to-face time anymore to be able to uh, pick up if someone is fatigued but that they can still ask questions that yeah. may identify a risk. That's not to say that they have to, you know, ask someone to log their personal hours and how many hours sleep have you had last night. And you know, Someone's got our watches nowadays. You can, <laughs> you can probably download it somewhere. That's right. But you can, you can ask them questions about how they are feeling today and how they are going and you can, you know, observe their work output. And there, there are questions you can ask. And unless we have structured those questions and unless we've trained our supervisors in how to do that I suspect they'll be quite uncomfortable in doing that and then communicating that culture that we talked about and making yes. sure that people understand that you know raising fatigue issues is critical and not going to get you fired not going to get you fired just because the baby kept you up all night I personally had a young baby at the same time and I must say my sympathy was with the fellow who who was up all night. And then the last one is around revisiting our policies, which we've said time and time again, but, you know, it's not just about pandemic policies, it's about revisiting all of our risk policies and particularly around 
incident investigation and reporting. We yes. talked about how incident investigations more challenging when people are not in the workplace and even more so the ability to identify if there's a fatigue related issue in that incident. And, you know, my recommendation is most incidents should have some questioning in the investigation to understand if there's any um, fatigue related issues. Thank you. I was going to <laughs> talk about uh, incidents and, and fatigue and, and just talk about the fact that given that it's a, people are working from home, like we talked about in, in our previous podcast, doesn't mean that we don't still have to investigate and, and that fatigue is an issue that they should carefully look at as part of that process. But I think as well is really training our supervisors and our workers to identify those risks. And I, I feel like flexible working practices are a double-edged sword in some ways. They're amazing in so many ways, but they do create these almost unintended consequences. And um, I was reading a, an article from one of our safety experts actually and and he he said in there that most of the incidents most serious safety incidents have occurred because of a change that have introduced other unintended consequences that people haven't realized and managed and risk assessed and controlled and so that was where I was going to leave that so thank you for coming in today Shay and uh, thank you for listening thank you if you'd like any further information, feel free to visit claytonyeats.com. So you don't miss out on any episodes, you can subscribe to The Safety Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on your favorite podcasting app or platform.